I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often in hours. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one-day rule on its head and offer back-to-back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code DATABLE and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. Hi, I'm Yui Xu. And I'm Julie Kraftchik. We're active daters turned dating sociologists. Here to dive into everything modern dating and relationships. Welcome. Welcome to the Dateable Podcast. Hi, Dateables. So good to have you all back <laughs> with another episode of, in case you didn't know, it's Dateable, <laughs> where we talk about dating. Julie, your trip to Mexico looked like so much fun. Oh my God, it was amazing. I am having a hard time being back, I'll just say that. But we got mm. out right in the nick of time, though, because there was a stage four hurricane that came through hurricane. right oh, after we left, like the day after. Uh. And I shared that I went down because my friend has been there with her partner and she sent me a video of their balcony they like had a hole through their roof because it was so (gasps) crazy so yeah so it you could have been stranded oh, if you stayed totally. one more day. One more day. We got out right in time. But it was an incredible trip. It was so relaxing. Just what I needed. You know, just beaches. We did um, a taco tour that was really fun. My partner <laughs> and I ended up being the only ones on the tour. Shout out to Ricky, or as he said, Ricky Martin, to remember him. He was our tour guide. <laughs> he was amazing. <laughs> and then we also did a snorkeling. We did Hidden Beach. We historically and hidden yes. beach excursion UA had told me to do this and you were like I even went with my ex and it was amazing I know it's like the the one thing I remember from that trip was the <laughs> hidden beach so <laughs> it was super cool like for anyone that's unaware it's like it's at an island and then it's a very small beach but you have to swim to get into it they limit the amount of people that can go through every day so it's never guaranteed that you can get on but like it was basically like in our time slot we had like 30 minutes once we got there it was just our tour group yeah it's so clean it's so peaceful just kind of a cool little like out of this world experience totally. you're like whoa you can swim into this thing it's kind of like a cave but open top I don't yeah. know it's strange and last week you know you asked me I talked about the trip and you asked me like what it would be like to go on a couple's trip and I didn't know but it ended up working out really well I think too because they had their home base so there were nights that my partner and I just like went off and did our thing and let them do their normal routine but then there were 
were also times where we think we hung out together. And then we also all went away for the weekend, like at an mm-hmm. all-inclusive hotel. So that kind of felt like we were doing vacation a little more together, but that was fun in a mm-hmm. different way. So I think all said and done, it was a great balance. And, you know, I was just like reflecting about this and I put up an Instagram post, but I just remember like explicitly having this conversation with my friend that I went to see when this was mm-hmm. like, you know, during COVID, we didn't go on like a far trip. We went to Carbell because it was, you know, in the mm-hmm. time that you couldn't really travel when restrictions had lifted enough that we felt like we could leave. And we went to Carmel and we had a great time, like a great time. But I remember like her being like, oh, you know, like, it's so nice. All these couples are here. Like one day, like, I want to do that. And I'm like, we will. We're going to go on a couple's trip. Like, it's going to happen, you know? And <laughs> here you <laughs> exactly. are. Exactly. And like, I think there's something so magical, though, about that. It could feel so far off when you're in it. And then... Mm-hmm. One day it just happens and it's not. And you look back on that day and you're like, oh, yeah, of course that would eventually happen. And I think both trips were really fun in different ways. So it's just a reminder, too, that it's like wherever you are right now is a good place to be in. You'll move to a different stage at some point. It's not a rush that we think it is. Yes, because you got to enjoy where you are today Mm because this this moment won't last that long. I met up with two girlfriends in Athens and they were like, this may be our last trip before we find our husbands. And I was like, no, don't don't let this don't feel like this is the layover to a relationship so that you can go on trips with your partner. They're so different and you get a different experience. And it's it's good to have both. Totally. And we have to keep that in mind, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean to say this like I can never go on a girl's trip alone ever again, because clearly it's not the case. I just did two of them like the weekends prior. Yeah. So that is not the case at all. But it's more just like where you are today might very well change really quickly. Yeah. It usually does. You know, it's never a set. This is forever. So if you're feeling down about where you are in a year, things might look completely different. Yeah. It's not an either or. No. I, you can't just be like oh this no more girls trips when i'm in a relationship i don't or get no that. more relationship trips <laughs> when i'm single yeah. like no anything could happen any day yeah anywhere anytime that is true and i mean i think that's like a larger thing too i mean all the stuff that's been going on in the world and again just like a moment's notice things can completely shift and change gear and just some of it has just been so horrific and i think just wanted to like mm-hmm. also take a moment to kind of share for you know our audience audience that's in this and feeling it because like I know I am and you know I'm I don't have family in Israel I don't have Israeli roots but like as a Jewish American I'm still feeling it and just want to like put it out there to people that like this is a hard time so do what you need to do to self-soothe as well what are you feeling what are those feelings I've there was a few points of view that I saw online that really resonated with me because I admit that I'm not well versed in what's happening in Israel and Palestine like I'm not gonna Mm -hmm. speak to the politics there I think in general it's a tragedy every lot life that is lost in this it's been really hard I think to see groups that are you know basically saying that this is like okay that these terrorist actions happened and that's actually really Mm -hmm. terrifying to me that there's been protests in New York and San Francisco even actively saying like this is justified and I think that part's been Mm -hmm. very scary and terrifying to me so my take on it is like at the end of the day this is a terrorist attack these are civilians that were at a music festival that do not deserve this and like people being killed and raped babies being deheaded like it's the whole bit is horrific so the humanity of all this like it's okay to one not have a stance on the politics because you don't know and also just to be sad i think that's okay too and that's how i'm feeling right now yeah, it's like, I'm definitely not well versed in the politics of it all. But I just feel like from a hum- humanity level, you could be at a music festival, but you have to fear for your life now from a terrorist attack. Yeah. You and I were texting back and forth. And we were saying like, I can't believe this is happening in 2023. And these attacks have given permission for more anti-Semitism people to come out. And in the US, in cities that are that we live in, which is ridiculous. 
And for some reason, like, where were these people? They were just hiding out, waiting for something like this to happen. And now they think they can go out and wave a Nazi flag on the 405 in Irvine. Like, what the fuck? I know. Is happening. I mean, I think that's why it's been really scary. Like, obviously, I don't want to say, like, it's been scarier here than in Israel. Clearly, that is not the case. But, like, it's scary that it's even taking form here, too. Like, that's scary to me as, like, a Jewish American, too. Yeah. Very, very scary times that we're in, that's for sure. Mm. You know what's scarier than dating <laughs> is the real world. Yeah. Well, it definitely puts in perspective some stuff, doesn't it? Like, I think that's like yeah. happened. Like, I've had a few conversations this week with some folks and it's like, okay, the stuff we're going through, it's we're going through it. You know, like, no one's going to deny your feelings. But like, when you put it in the larger perspective of what's happening, it almost feels minuscule in a way. I mean, it, it certainly does. I'm still like in shock that this is happening today. This is straight up war yeah. where people are getting killed. This is still happening. Yeah in developed civilizations. Yeah, I think like the reading stories of families and, you know, like there was a story of like a couple who they basically got killed and their two like 10 month old twins were still, they were alive, but like they're going to grow up without parents now because of this, you know, it's like that stuff is really heart wrenching to read. (sighs) Well, take care, take care of each other, take care of yourself, like you said. And, uh, I don't know. There's there's no fucking solution to any of this. Yeah. It just makes me really scared for the future our children are growing up in. Anyways, I'm not sure <laughs> how we transition off this, but cheating doesn't look no. like anything compared to this. <laughs> Actually, yeah, cheating is the least of anybody's worries in the grand scheme of things. Damn. Damn. Isn't that true, though? It's just like you could be going through something you think it's the end of the world. And you look, you pull back and look at what's going on actually going on in the world. You're like, no, no, there's other things that are actually ending the world. Like, I'm not saying that this is a good thing at all to have this comparison, but it sure as heck does put things in perspective. That's for sure. Yes. And we are speaking to a cheating infidelity expert. Her name is Nicole. And I think it's always good to get a professional perspective Mm -hmm. on these bad dating behaviors. And infidelity is one that we've been trying to demystify because obviously like of what's been happening in my life. Mm -hmm. But also just we've been curious about this topic for a long time. Why do people cheat? Do they feel guilty? Is there remorse? Is there coming back from cheating? All of those questions. But really, the why. The why is what we want to peel back on. So this episode truly peels back the layers of the why. Yeah, and a big shout out to Marie Thuin. She's a dating coach and PhD, and she came on the sounding board after dark when we had that to talk about dating profiles. But we should look into having her as a guest because she talks a lot about compersion, which is like something that big in the poly community it's like the joy Mm -hmm. in others experiencing joy and she talks about like how you know you can have that joy that your partner's with someone else but also experience jealousy too it's a very fascinating topic but she wrote in i think it was after the episode where i interviewed you about what had happened we had the call out for guests that could talk about cheating and she left me Mm -hmm. a voice memo and was like i have the perfect person for you and she sent us to dr zabian And here we are. That's how we (laughs) came about with this episode. Even after this episode, I'm still perplexed. I mean, like, after you've been in it, there's still so many questions that you feel like, my situation was nuanced and this and that. But now that I'm a few months out, I can see, I, I can truly feel sorry for my ex. And I do feel a certain level of compassion and just sadness for him. Coming out of this, like, cloud that I've been in. I think anybody who has been the cheater, I hope that once they're able to face what they've done, that they can heal from it because Mm -hmm. it is also harmful to themselves. And it probably opens Pandora's box to years and years of trauma they've experienced. Yeah. We promise the whole season will not be about cheating. We've definitely had a lot of che- <laughs> that'd be a different show. A lot of cheating episodes, but is I think even as someone that hasn't been in it, it's a very fascinating topic because my mind is always goes to just like why? Why would someone do this? Why not just end it? Why you know go mm-hmm. through this process? And I really like this conversation because it gets into the science behind the why and why 
you know, people are prone to cheating. Yep. Okay. Well, we could go on all day, but we might as well just get into it. So before we do, quick announcements at Dateable Podcasts. That's where you can find us. Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, pretty much everywhere. That's that's where we are. Join our Facebook group. We love to connect with people. We have a lot of great discussions there. I was just kind of browsing through the other day and there's just so many great threads. And I love the conversations where people even like disagree with each other. It's so fascinating. So a lot of really great perspectives in there. People helping each other, supporting one another. It's a great, great quarter of the internet. Uh, so join there if you're not there yet. And last one, just, you know, ratings and reviews. Keep them coming. Five stars, please. We're Our goal, we've said this before, 1K by the end of the year. We're getting so close. So close. So Apple Podcasts, leave us a little love note if you'd like. You can leave us your brunch talk questions. Those get bumped to the top. And, you know, five stars, please. <laughs> That's that's what's helpful. <laughs> okay, well, before we get into it, let's hear a message from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's ViaHemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from ViaHemp. This episode is made possible by Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out. Listen, I live in Southern California. There is absolutely no need for puffer coats or any sort of those winter jackets. But when I travel anywhere else in the world in these cold months, I'm often burdened with the task of getting winter clothes. And now with Armoire, I can just rent my winter wardrobe. It's brilliant. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash datable. That is armoire.style, spelled A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get up to 50% off your first First month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Okay, let's hear from Dr. Zapian. Dr. Zapian, welcome to Dateable. This is a hot topic for me personally, but also for <laughs> our listeners. This is a topic we've been wanting to bring up for several seasons. And it's so great to have an expert on this. And I also think, how can someone be an expert in infidelity? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Thank you for having me. So who is Dr. Nicole Zapian? She's in her 50s, lives in Berkeley, been there for 11 years. And you're originally from Berkeley. I've never met anybody who is from Berkeley. You're my first unicorn. <laughs> She's a licensed marriage and family therapist with over 16 years of experience providing psychotherapy services. And she's also a certified sex therapist. Of course, we're here to talk about infidelity. Now, Dr. Zapian, why do people cheat in general? Why do people cheat? Wow, that's a huge question. Mm -hmm. There are many reasons, really. And they boil down to, you know, in some ways, reasoning isn't really part of infidelity. People aren't usually thinking clearly when they're cheating. Mm. So they hide some aspect of why they do it to themselves while they're doing it and even afterwards. So the whole premise of cheating is 
betrayal and lies. You lie to yourself, you lie to other people, and you kind of go about something. But why people cheat is they're trying to do something without hurting anyone. They're trying to kind of bend the constraints of reality in almost every case. So Hmm. I did my dissertation research with people who cheat. So I interviewed a bunch of people who have cheated in the past or were currently cheating. And what they told me, which I found really fascinating, was what they thought the reasons were. And in many cases, they were sort of unclear to themselves even long after the case. And in many cases, they were trying to protect someone. So protect someone from the hard truth. Mm. I no longer love you. You don't do it for me sexually. I'm annoyed with some sort of conflict in our relationship, but I don't want to break up because of the kids or because of our history or because of whatever else. So I'm going to go and get split off some of my needs and get them satisfied somewhere else. Mm. In many cases, also, people were honestly just struck by someone else out of the blue. They didn't intend to cheat. They didn't set out to cheat. Mm. They sort of slid in to a cheating scenario. So imagine this, you're in a relatively happy relationship. You're bobbling along, doing your thing. You go to a cafe, some lightning bolt strikes you. You see someone from across the room. You have a really engaged Mm -hmm. conversation. It's really fun and you can't put it down. You kind of just can't let it go. So you say to yourself, I can be this person's friend or I can find a way to have this person in my relationship, in my life, and it won't get out of hand. (laughs) And you continually kind of move the needle or the line out over and over until you find yourself one day in a hotel room. So there's lots of different scenarios, but nobody kind of sets out saying, I'm going to go cheat. Mm. A couple people do, of course, but for the most part, that's not what people are doing. They're honest people trying to have a good time or trying to do some good in their lives and they end up cheating. Is there any differences? I mean, there's numbers that hetero men cheat more often. Nope. Nope. Okay. That's what I wanted to get your take on. Hetero men historically have had more opportunities to cheat. So if you think back Mm. 50 years ago, women weren't working. They didn't have their own money. They didn't have as many business trips to take or as much freedom. So now that women are more likely to be doing business travel, having their own accounts, having all these kinds of things, their rates of cheating are increasing. Mm. Also, women and men lie differently and cheat differently. Interesting. Not always, but sometimes. Yeah. So I think those numbers are erroneous. Plus, people lie in surveys about cheating. So here's the other thing I'm studying cheating, right? And cheating is about lying. What was fascinating to me was how many people would sort of like omit pronouns. They would sort of say, oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, Cupid's arrow struck me or something. It's like, well, where's the intentionality in that? Where's the subject? You know, you actually got the hotel key and went there and did it. Like, let's be clear. Yes. So I think people are kind of lying to themselves and lying to others and lying to researchers. So I don't think we can trust any of those data. Is there like a certain persona or like characteristics of someone? Like when I think of it, and this is just clearly not backed in any science mm-hmm. or data, so you would know better. Like I think of someone maybe that's more adventurous or like gets bored easily or wants... You're kind of right, okay. actually. I mean, that's kind of true. So people who have ADHD or people who are addicted to substances or people who we call it sociosexuality, which means they're more adventurous, more extroverted, more interested in flirting with lots of people are more likely to, quote unquote, have more sexual partners, which includes cheating and also consensual sexual partners. But that said, I think it's more contextual than anything. So if your relationship, if your primary monogamous relationship, if you're in a monogamous relationship is under stress Mm -hmm. and you are distant from that person, that's the context in which cheating happens. So the distance can be because one person has ovarian cancer and therefore isn't that interested in sex for a long time and is kind of preoccupied, or a person who has just lost their parents and is grieving and therefore isn't available, or people who travel for business a lot and aren't in the same time zone. Those kinds of contextual factors matter more than personality. Got it. When you were citing some of the reasons why people cheat, it really resonated with me. Also, the way you said it, it almost made me feel sorry or Mm -hmm. be empathetic towards these cheaters. Mm -hmm. And when my ex cheated on me, he was very adamant about telling me the why. He didn't want to tell me the what. He didn't want to tell me who it was, what they did. But he said, don't you want to know the why? And these are the whys he gave me. He said, because the relationship was stale, because I couldn't resist the come-ons and there was a connection and they offered a different energy. And then he went on to say, I'm not one of the bad guys who cheat. There's a lot of justification around why he cheated, almost in a way of explaining it's exactly what you said. He ended up on bed with someone, but it wasn't his doing. It wasn't his intentionality. It's just he couldn't resist the come-ons. Is there ever a good reason to cheat? 
You know, the one case where I heard that they'd been together for a very long time, they were very close. This woman had ovarian cancer. She was going to die. And it was a long, slow process of chemotherapy and death, like hospice and whatever. So if you can imagine a year and a half, and these are relatively young people, and they're not going to have sex again. She has ovarian cancer. She's full of chemo. She's full of pain. Mm. He didn't want to break her heart by letting her know that he had sexual needs, but he couldn't wait for a year and a half. Mm. That sort of story kind of made sense to me that like this woman is going to die. He wanted to protect her. I don't know. Would I have wanted to have been cheated on in that situation? I don't know, but I wouldn't want my partner to be adding salt to the wound, I guess, while I'm suffering in that case. So that kind of case made sense to me. Yeah, while you're dying. You know, why cheat? You could just open up your relationship or you could just do the hard work of really asking yourself, what's going on here? When we want to have sex with someone else, it could be that we want to have sex with someone else, or it could be just a defensive strategy to get away from some other emotion. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure we can trust our desires, just like we can't trust you know, the lies that we tell ourselves or the justifications. We are complicated people, and a lot of it is justification to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. So why cheat? I think in my personal morality, it's not about the sex. It's about the lying. Mm-hmm. And I think it doesn't really go very well. Yes. I don't really appreciate being lied to. I don't like it when I lie to myself, when I start to realize like, whoa, I just justified something and it doesn't make sense. I would rather see people, you know, do the bold move of make your primary relationship work or get out of it or decide you're going to open mm-hmm. up if you really need to be poly, but like be responsible to your partners because it's not fair when you're lying to them. You're putting them in health risk situations. You're mm-hmm. splitting your energy and you're not being the best person that you can in my particular code of ethics. It's kind of also a, a power move for the other person. If you lie to someone, you don't give them the opportunity to exit or to address, you know, their role in the situation. Right. So I don't think it's good behavior. Exactly. That said, lots of people do it and they don't realize it until after the fact. So in the end, we're all human, right? So I can say, don't do it. It's bad. They don't realize what? They don't realize that they're cheating. So where do you put the line for cheating? Oh, right. So interesting. you're flirting with someone via email. Huh. Are you aware that you're flirting when you're flirting? Oh, I see. Are you aware when you're starting to fall in love with someone always? Do you know? Like ahead of time, can you back up before that happens? Mm. Not everyone has complete control. So yes, people should be aware if you go to a hotel room mm. with the intent to have sex. That should be obvious, self-evident, but it isn't always. Sometimes people tell themselves a miraculous lie Mm -hmm. as it's happening. And it's only afterwards that they're like, oh, drat, wow, that's an affair. You brought up ethical non-monogamy. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I haven't heard about cheating as frequently as of recently. Of course, it happened to UA, so that's part of it. But I feel like in general, I'm hearing more and more stories as of lately. And I thought that like maybe cheating had curbed because ethical non-monogamy is on the rise. (laughs) Or maybe it was just the pandemic and people didn't cheat as much during that time. Like, have you seen seen any data like with ethical non-monogamy being more front and center? Like how has that impacted cheating or do you view those as completely separate things? They're not separate at all because you can still cheat inside of ethical non-monogamy, right? So Mm -hmm. although people tend to not use that language once they're inside of an open structure, either ethical non-monogamy, poly, or however they want to label themselves. Once you enter those kinds of structures, people tend to try to negotiate and renegotiate when there are boundary issues or conflicts or concerns. But it's really the same phenomena. So you set up a scenario with your partners, you decide how you're going to navigate things, they bring home some paramour, something gets complicated, and you get upset. That's the same structure as feeling cheated on. But the language is different and the power dynamics are different because then all the parties feel like, okay, the next step is to renegotiate or to exit this structure. And the renegotiations sometimes are done very well, frankly. And sometimes they're very heated and upsetting, just like they are with cheating scenarios. Yeah, I guess just like, for instance, with UA situation, my initial thought was like, why not just say, hey, I'd like to try being Mm -hmm. non-monogamous? Like since that is an open path nowadays. Do you think that correlates? Yeah. I mean, that's a great idea, but not everyone has the character structure to do that. Like not everybody is interested in leaning in. They're scared or sometimes they think that they're not terribly compersive. You know, they feel like, okay, I'm going to be jealous. So I want to hold on to my monogamous situation, but I want to have my cake and eat it too or whatever. So there's different kinds of things that are going on in people's heads as they navigate these challenges. And I think it's also generationally different. You know, I'm in my fifties. There aren't as many people in their fifties who 
are all about, you know, poly and whatever, young people are in a very different situation where it's really common for people to say, you know, I'm always open. And then you have to kind of navigate, how do I build connection and security inside of Mm -hmm. a world where almost everyone is open to openness? And it goes back to what you were saying earlier, like, is it just an out for another reason? Yeah. Or they want to build the relationship. All of your relationships should be building, frankly. That's the point. Yeah. I mean, whether it's open or closed, that's not the question. The question is, is are you investing in it? Do people feel safe? Do people feel mm-hmm. secure? Is power distributed okay? You know, et cetera. Through your research, I'm also curious to know, how does someone's environment and upbringing affect their views on cheating? Because I've seen both ways. My ex grew up in a culture in Taiwan where cheating is expected when you're a man who reaches a certain caliber of wealth. Mm -hmm. But I've also met other people who grew up in that culture and said, I would never cheat because I saw my dad cheating Mm -hmm. on my mom. I would never bring that into a relationship. Mm -hmm. Which of the two do you see more of? I think it's not so black and white. Yes, our society and our culture shapes us with values. So in France, for example, people cheat more often. There are different kinds of cultures where men have the rights, Mm -hmm. sometimes women too. So that certainly influences us. But people who have experienced the pain of cheating are not more or less likely to cheat, but they're more likely to feel traumatized. And so the trauma Mm. can inform you either recreating that trauma again, right? So doing it again, or you feeling really upset by it and trying very hard not to, and sometimes falling into it anyway. So oftentimes with trauma, we become identified with one or the other party, maybe with your mom, maybe with your dad, you know, it, it depends, maybe with other siblings, and then you end up acting out that role unconsciously. So I think it's pretty hard to say, but cheating affects children, period. There's no way to sugarcoat that. Cheating affects your neighbors and your family. So if all of your friends start cheating, you are highly likely to think that it's more acceptable than you would if no one in your social circle were cheating. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we are socially impacted by sexual behavior completely. And by moral behavior too, I would say. Right. Yeah, for sure. Then what about self-esteem? Like how does that play in? Because like when I think of cheating, I think of like someone that needs a lot of validation. Yeah. If they're not getting it from their partner or maybe in addition, like is that an aspect that's correlated with like the likelihood to cheat at all? Yes and no. I think this would differ by gender and by sexual orientation. Mm. So for example, in gay male circles, there's lots of openness and lots of expectations. And also with cuckolding. So the idea that it can be a self-esteem boost to see your partner with someone else who's high value. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, look, look who you got to pull, you know, et cetera. Mm. But it can also be a self-esteem blow. Like, oh, you don't want me. I don't do it for you. I can't satisfy you completely. And I think this goes along with yeah. what kind of narratives we have in our mind. So a lot of young women, straight women, are raised with the idea that if I'm pretty enough, if I'm interesting enough, you know, I'll take care of your needs sexually and you won't need to stray. That belief sets us up to have huge self-esteem issues if we're cheated on. It also, men have a similar thing, like, well, if I can get a lot of different women, if I can have a lot of sex, then I'm of high value. So there's these beliefs that are fueling that. It doesn't have to be that way. Your value has nothing to do with how many partners you have or how pretty you are or any of that. It's about the beliefs and then people kind of lean into the behavior to substantiate the beliefs. It's a disregard for the other person is what it is. I matter more. My needs matter more than anything that I promised you because I'm not willing to be strong enough to exit or open up or you know do something to protect the situation. It's infuriating for me to see that societally we have a spectrum of people who deserve to be cheated on and people who don't deserve to be cheated on. So for example, yeah. JLo has been cheated on a million times and people go, why would someone cheat on JLo? Why would someone cheat on... Mm. Halle Berry. Can you believe it? Someone would cheat on them. But that statement implies that some people do deserve it. Mm -hmm. It was the beautiful celebrity. Then, oh, of course, of course, this person got cheated on. In your research, did you also find the same kind of qualifier in terms of like who deserved to be cheated on? No. I mean, I think what happened really is people's relationships went stale, like your partner told you. You know, that's the first ingredient. And the second ingredient is that Mm -hmm. they didn't know how to fix a stale relationship. So when your relationship goes stale, it's usually not because, you know, you were attracted to the person in the beginning. That's why you entered into a relationship, Mm -hmm. presumably, or else you're an idiot, right? So you're attracted to this person, (laughs) you get involved with them, everything is great, and then it goes stale. That's normal. That happens all the time. The question is, what do you do next? Right. And the easy, like kind of lazy way out is to just cheat. The more morally appropriate way to deal with that is to either open your relationship or exit your relationship or make it better. And in my book, why not make it better? Yeah. So ask yourself the question, talk to your partner and say, it's gone stale. I don't know why. Maybe the person 
person who's about to cheat isn't coming forward very much, isn't participating enough, isn't being intimate enough. Maybe it needs to deepen. That's the usual course of events. So people aren't sharing their innermost thoughts because they think they're objectionable. And then they'd rather just cheat. That's just lazy, frankly. So, you know, you got to do the hard work in relationships. If you want them to continue and you want them to grow and you want them to deepen, you have to kind of continue to invest and put in. And that doesn't mean just date night and like make yourself look nice. It usually means you have to deepen your inner part of the relationship. You have to start talking about hard things. Right. You have to become intimate. You have to become interdependent. And that takes hard work. And people tend to not know how to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think like my reaction to all this was just like, you don't give your partner any opportunity to step up at all. Yeah, right. And to figure out a plan together when you're out is just to cheat. Well, not only is it your partner to step up, you don't step up. I mean, that's a, that's like a grand yeah. stepping down yes. to the person who's cheating. They're yes. not stepping up. That's the point. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. They're doing the opposite of stepping up. That's right. But I guess my question is, like, are some people just not wired to be in long-term relationships? Or do you believe that anyone can if they are willing to do the work necessary. We're all wired to be in relationships. We come into this world, you know, ready to bond with our parents and our siblings and so on. That's just the human condition. So I don't know if I could say wired to this or that, but I think some people don't want to invest. And sometimes you have to seek out the support of a therapist. If you don't know how to make your relationships work and you're doing harm to other people, it's probably wise that you think about that because it's only going to hurt you or others. Or you just stay single. Well, I mean, staying single also isn't a good solution. Like part of... (laughs) In my book, being a human is to, you know, love in whatever form that takes for you. I'm not going to say that people all need to be in sexual relationships or in monogamous relationships at all, but being able to love and being able to produce in the world is a good thing. And if you're blocked and can't do those two things, go get some help. My mom has this theory that everyone will cheat if given the right opportunity. She actually has this line. She said, there are no faithful men. They're just lazy men because the lazy men don't go out and seek these opportunities. Obviously, this is very extreme. But what are your thoughts on that? Because I often think about if I were in a relationship and I find myself in an environment where everyone I'm attracted to is coming on to me strong and the temptations there. I don't know. I haven't been in that opportunity before, but I'm not sure if I could hold my ground in that kind of situation. I mean, I think it depends on life phases. And, you know, if you imagine yourself at 80 years old or at 12 years old or at 28 years old, there are different pressures in those situations and different kinds of commitments that you might have that would hold you back or keep you from straying or what have you. But I think you're right. We all have the capacity somewhere deep in our psyche to be aggressive, to be sexual, to be hurtful, to do things that we would never expect given the right conditions. We have a subconscious. If you do all these experiments, like all of the sort of social science experiments that happen in psychology departments where they ask people, how would you behave in this situation? Everyone says they'd be morally blah, blah, and none of them are. Of course. So I think your mom is onto something, but I don't think it's any different for women than it is for men. Right. And I do think the pressures are stronger when you're, Mm -hmm. if you're in your 20s and you're unattached and you don't have kids, probably more likely to give way. There's a lot of hormonal influences. There's a lot going on at that time period. If you have kids and and grandkids and you're 65, you're kind of been through menopause, you might be like, yeah, meh, I'm not so interested, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm not there yet. Yeah. I don't know. I'd like to think that not everyone would cheat if they had the opportunity. Not every opportunity, but everyone has the capacity given the right constellation of variables. So I think it's not just temptation. It's also like, are you unhappy? Are you feeling unfulfilled? Are you lacking meaning? Yeah, it's contextual. It's totally Totally contextual. Totally. Have you never had an orgasm? Are you irritated with your partner? Like, are you frustrated in that relationship? All of that put together and then someone comes who's different and starts coming on to you and sells you Mm -hmm. some sort of interesting, hopeful idea. Yeah, you might. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Like, is there a reason why some people have guilt and then other people show no remorse when they're cheating? Yeah, that's a problem. The people who show no remorse are really entitled and very scary. I mean, that's a piece of personality that is problematic. So there's another level of mental illness to that, right? Yeah. I mean, to do harm to someone and take pleasure in that or to do harm to someone and show no remorse, your ex may have cheated and might feel justified in doing that, but he should at the very least recognize, I lied to you and that's not okay. 
even if it's something that's human, it's problematic, right? Is it not? Because it didn't give you the chance to say, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore with all the cards on the table. So, you know, it's at the level of entitlement. I don't know if you guys entered into a relationship where you agreed that he could cheat and not tell you and you'd be okay with that. I mean, did you agree to that? No. I mean, you said he's from Taiwan, but no, you didn't agree to that. So, I mean, that seems to me like it erases your personhood, which I think is problematic. And I agree. So is it true once a cheater, always a cheater? No. Is that a true statement? Okay. No, I mean, everybody can change, right? (laughs) And lots of people cheat in college. You know, you're sort of, lots of people do things when they're very young and don't understand how relationships work and then we develop. So I don't think we could say that once a cheater, always a cheater, once a smoker, always a smoker. This is a very profound question because I think, like you said, you know, depending on life stage, when you're younger and you cheated, maybe that's something like, okay, you were experimenting. But if you find out in early dating that someone has cheated later in life, in their 30s and 40s, is that a red flag that should be addressed? If they cheat in every single relationship and somebody's had five marriages or something, yeah, you pretty much got to expect that you're the next in the series. But I think it depends. Is that person getting help? Are they changing? Are they reflecting on it? What do they think about their own actions? It matters more not what they did, but what they think about what they did. Yeah, right. Let's hold that thought for a quick message. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast exit interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. (laughs) Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. When she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So were there any questions that you would recommend, like asking someone early on to understand their stance of cheating? Or let's say they have cheated and they feel like they've grown from it. Like, how could you approach that? I wouldn't ask about cheating, I would figure out how they fight, how they argue. Mm. Okay. So for me, like everyone always says, oh, we met and we had this great relationship and we, you know, did all these fantastic things. We went on a yacht and we went on a trip and we did all the whatever, whatever. And he's so wonderful. I know he's great. No, you don't. Fight with him. Fight with him hard. Like really argue truthfully, directly about something. Don't pick a fight, but wait until you see your first argument and see, can he tolerate or she tolerate difficult kind of conflicts? Can they apologize? Apologize. Can they face hard things with you? Can they be flexible, negotiate with you? That tells you more about can you solve problems? Because then when it gets stale, what's likely to happen is you're going to have hard conversations and you're going to get through it. Mm. That's your ticket. If you can't have the hard conversations, then you can't do anything. It's not going to stay perfect. It never is. It never was. No relationship does. So you might as well abandon the Cinderella fantasy that it's going to be you know, prince and princess and it's going to be fabulous and we're going to be able to secure some sort of imagination of truth and recognize, can this person have a hard conversation with me? And are they invested in doing that over and over and over again? And do they care about me as a person, not as a perfect girlfriend or a perfect wife or as a beautiful person or as a sex partner? Do they care about my personhood? Like, do they share well? which sounds silly. But, you know, if I'm picky about something, even if it's not their preference, are they willing to just kind of go along with that? Or are they willing to argue with me about it to find some kind of compromise? Then you know you're with somebody who's going to be able to go for the long haul. And that doesn't mean monogamy necessarily. That could mean open too. I mean, that might be one of the hard conversations. I don't know. Right. But if you can't fight, then it's over. And by fight, I mean fight constructively. Yeah. That's a very important point for me to realize too, because I used to think if you can discuss cheating and infidelity early on a relationship, then you can gauge someone's opinion about the matter. But I realize that if someone's a cheater, they're a prolific liar as well. Whenever you're asking someone about their moral stance, they're always going to take the high road. But in this question of how they handle conflict, there is no moral ground for you to stand on. It's purely just, this is how I handle conflict. It's a much better gauge of character. And I wouldn't ask them how they handle conflict. I would have a conflict with them. Right. 
So you ask someone how they handle (laughs) conflict. They say, oh, I handle it well. I'm, you know, I'm fair and I'm this and I'm that. Like, well, let's see what happens when we're really arguing. So you only know once you start doing it. Do they scream? Do they threaten you? Do they avoid? Do they belittle you or gaslight you? Those are really problematic stances. But many cheaters also avoid conflict. And that's the whole point is everything goes along well. And then when it starts to be hard, they're like, oh, I can't handle that. Mm -hmm. So then they start to withdraw a little bit. And then some of their libidinal energy, that excitement, that creativity, that sexuality starts going elsewhere because they can't invest it in you because there's a conflict that they can't deal with. Right. So if you were suspecting someone was cheating, what's the best (laughs) way to approach that? topic. Going through their phone or going through their computer or their stuff is not the best way. (laughs) No. Mostly because you'll see things that you don't want to see and that you can't unsee. And you'll see the split off version of them. You'll see what they're doing with this other person and it will be hurtful to you. Mm. And only in the last, you know, 30 years have we had access to these kinds of things where you can actually see it. And it's painful. What I would do is I would just say, hey, you know, I want to have a hard conversation with you. I feel suspicious and, you know, you can't talk me out of it. Don't try to say, no, no, it's not happening. I feel suspicious and I feel distant from you. And I don't know what's going to bring us close together, but I have some concerns about our relationship. And I don't know what we need to do. Maybe we need to go to therapy. Maybe we need to have some hard conversations. I'm not going to be easily dissuaded from this position, but I I really want to feel closer to you and I don't know how we can get there. And then start to open up the conflicts that are probably underneath the surface like a cystic acne or something like you have to kind of exfoliate and then see what's there. Mm -hmm. I think that sounds really ideal. But in my scenario, I feel like if I went to that, which I did, I had a conversation about him. We were in couples therapy for six months Mm. while this was all happening. And I did have a conversation about feeling that distance and wanting to understand how we can become closer. And his reaction to that was, let's keep going to therapy. So I feel blessed that I saw the messages as hurtful as they were. It offered a finality to what I was suspecting. Mm -hmm. But I also understand your point of view that it's not the best way to address the situation. Well, it offered a finality. Did the couples therapist recognize that you guys were feeling distant? Were they helpful? No, he had lied to everyone. We were in premarital counseling, doing well. And in fact, the therapist was like, Mm. you guys are making a lot of progress. This is working out really well. Wow. But it just shows Mm -hmm. how much he was lying, not just to us, but to himself too. I mean, ideally, a couple's therapist would be able to sense the distance and participate with that. But it sounds like you couldn't see it, it sounds like, until you really saw it. And sometimes that has to happen for sure. How disappointing. Must have been crushing. But I think, like you said, there are other measures to take before you go on the phone and the computer, which is basically what we're doing at the couples counseling. And I guess this is the last straw. I had to get to that in my situation. But there are many other steps before that. Yeah. Before you saw those messages during the six months, the couples therapist was saying that things were going well. Did you feel like it was going well? I thought so. I thought we were making progress. Oh, wow. So you were really, really lied to. Yeah. Yeah. That can happen. Yeah, I guess like if you approach someone, say you don't go down the route of looking through messages and you approach someone, they just tell you, no, nothing's going on. Like, how do you know? Do you just like listen to that instinct still? Or I could see someone getting very lost in that process. Yeah, I mean, I can't say definitively how you know. I mean, I think it's trust. Mm -hmm. I think there are people who are really seductive and really able to lie incredibly well. But most people aren't. You know, most people, you can feel it. You can feel the trust. Yeah. You can feel the connection. You can see where they are, you know, and they, they're not hiding anything. It's clear that they don't have time to really be right. in a serious, you know, cheating relationship. So this is unusual what you experienced. But there was clearly an instinct you had still to check, right? Like it wasn't like that came out of nowhere. So there was some instinct. Correct. Part of it. That week. Yes. It was a shift in energy and behavior just that week. Mm -hmm. Julie was along for the ride the whole time. So she saw the immediate flip of the switch. She was like, hmm, something's off. Well, that's a good thing. Like if you see strange behavior, Mm -hmm. that can be, you know, indicative of an addiction or, you know, cheating or something is wrong. And there's a secret. Mm -hmm. And most people can figure that out. And I think it doesn't matter whether they're cheating or they're using drugs or they're gambling or there's something else going on, but it is still a split 
and a lie and some kind of betrayal. Yeah. Same format, same structure. And you want to be on the lookout for that stuff. So what do you do if you are feeling tempted, but you don't want to cheat? Like outside of therapy, that's clearly one path. Like, is there anything (laughs) else or is that really the silver bullet there? What's so bad about feeling tempted and not acting on it? I mean, I think you just sit in the temptation. It's not going to kill you. That's true. There's that. There's finding other outlets for it. I mean, it's easy to fall in love with all different kinds of people or to want to have sex with all different kinds of people, but that's not super practical. So what do you do to channel? all of that energy into artistic endeavors or other kinds of activities or into sex with your partner that you can, you know, be involved with or flirting, you know, harmless flirting so that it doesn't develop or whatever it is, dancing, something. You have to channel it. It's also really hard to know where the line is too. Like how far can you go before you start to tip into something that you would regret? That's hard to gauge for some people. And I do think some healthy flirting is necessary just to be social and have a human experience. But also the line is drawn between what you and your partner decide to be the line. I do wonder if a lot of this is a gendered experience because I think for him, you know, telling me I couldn't resist the come-ons, I scoffed at that because I was like, do you know what it's like to be a woman where we've always been in a position of being hit on, but we're able to suppress it and also deal with that. But for men, maybe this is a new thing. And that's why it was just so tempting, like, oh, being hit on as a man. But women have, (laughs) this isn't novel for us, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think being hit on is not the issue. Some people have control and some people don't have control. And I think that control is way upstream. It's not in the moment of being hit on and the temptation after you've already decided that your relationship is stale, that you don't want to work on it, and you're feeling a little hopeless about something. And you project some sort of fantasy idea onto the person who's coming on to you. You don't actually know this person. You know, they're not going to be some miraculous answer to the problem. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole lot that goes into that setup. It's not the actual temptation. We can resist our sexual urges. Our bodies are designed so that we can masturbate. I don't buy that there's some sort of issue that anybody has waiting for contact. So that's ridiculous. Yeah. But there's a bunch of things that go into people feeling exquisitely tempted in those moments and lying to themselves and making sure that they can act out is because they don't recognize all the other contextual things that lead up to it. So if you've been cheated on, it feels like it might be difficult to trust again, especially if you had a situation that came out of nowhere, totally blindsided. What are some steps that you can take in your recovery to, you know, trust again? Again, go to therapy, work through the betrayal and the anger and the resentment and the upset about that. And then try really hard to go slowly in terms of the commitment steps so that you can build trust with your next partner or partners. Don't try to rush into anything. Take it slowly. Make sure that other people are willing to treat you well. That requires boundaries, saying no when things aren't going well, giving feedback, you know, having those hard conversations and those conflicts again. So let's be clear. Yeah, the person who cheats, but the person who was cheated on also needs to make sure that they have the conflicts and set boundaries and are clear. So sometimes both parties avoid the conflict and the cheater just sort of takes it to another level. Mm. Okay. In like certain scenarios though, let's say you were totally blindsided and you didn't see this coming. Like how do you have faith that you're not going to like misjudge again in the next person? Like how do you move it off of I chose wrong to this is something that happened to me. It's not going to happen again necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true with all traumas, right? We always have to move off of this happened to me. It's not going to happen again. How do I recover? How do I open my heart? It's more important to open your heart and be open-hearted ongoingly than it is to be preventing this thing happening again. It's not going to happen forever. Not everyone is bad. And, you know, it's a lesson to you then. If you've been blindsided, yeah. you maybe weren't paying attention, you know, or maybe you had some fantasies yourself that need to get broken. The question is, is like, what do you do moving forward to work differently in your relationships, to lean into conflicts, for sure, to not have any fantasies about how this is going to go and to be brave? How do you do that? And I think that's what the lesson is, is do that anyway, even though it could happen again, but highly unlikely and open your heart anyway because it's worth it. Something I tell myself every day, keep my heart open. Well, you're kind of at ground zero, yeah. right? I mean, this just happened to you. So I think it takes some time to heal and to be, I mean, you're in the place where you're probably enraged and stunned and very sad and all those things. So that's a place that you want to spend enough time and be in those feelings until you're ready to open your heart again. 
So, you know, the first thought I had when this happened was, Mm -hmm. he's out of my life. I say this all the time. I mentally murdered him. It's done. But then I watch the new Sex and the City and just like that, fucking Aiden's back in the picture after Carrie cheated on him, you know, with Big. And then she ends up marrying Big and she comes back to Aiden after her husband dies. Like, it's (laughs) infuriating for me that Aiden has come back. Under what circumstance is reconciliation possible after cheating? I don't know if I could answer that. I mean, I think it's up to the people involved, right? And whether or not people change. I mean, people can change and grow. And sometimes people just go round after round of hurting each other. It's hard to say. Under what circumstances, I think, you know, it's up to each person to decide what they want to do with their lives. And hopefully we learn and grow and only reconcile if we feel like there's something new there. But I can't say that everybody does that. What's the line of reconciling because you either don't believe you can do better or you have this trauma bond? with this person versus they sincerely apologize and made the biggest mistake of their life and will never do this again. Like, how do you rectify between the two? And like, how do you know when you're falling into one camp or the other? Action speaks greater than words. If I were someone in that position and I felt pulled to get back into a relationship with someone who cheated on me, I think I would go slowly. And I think I would say, you know, let's hang out. Let's see where this goes. Let's kind of see what's changed. Mm -hmm. And I would be wondering a great deal about why I was still interested in this person. And I would be wondering a great deal about our conflicts. And I would be wondering a great deal about what has changed the whole way, even while I was enjoying it, if I was enjoying it. Mm -hmm. So I would kind of keep one foot out and one foot in while I sort of asked myself those questions. Yeah, they have to demonstrate the change. And also, I think we should say something about violence here. You know, the classic intimate partner violence cycle, people reel you in and then, you know, shower you with flowers and like all this this stuff, and then they become violent again. I think this has that same kind of cyclical thing where if they cheat, Mm. they could like reel you in with, oh, it'll be better this time. I'll take you on this trip and we're going to do all this stuff and la la la. I'm going to get married. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm. And then there's this like, oh, I'm bored and I'm going to cheat again. So you have to kind of see it as, is it a violence cycle? Are you in that same kind of power struggle with this person where they're getting off on reeling you in and spitting you out, which is why I would probably go slowly and see like, what really is this? Yeah. Can I trust myself and my own thinking if I'm feeling pulled to go back with them? I like this going slowly because there's no like rule that you have to just jump into the same relationship that you once had. No. First and foremost, you have to honor yourself and see what feels right. In your research, what has been the most surprising thing you found? The most surprising thing is the moment that the people cross the line, they really don't realize they're crossing the line. That's wild And that that moment is further up from Mm. the actual sex. There's a moment where it gets its own momentum. And that's wild to me too. Wow. And there is this danger zone. It's not in the flirting or anything, but it's like there's some constellation of variables that come together, some fantasies and some behaviors that kind of all lock in. And then suddenly there, it's like a tractor beam. And that's wild to me. And these are good people who are not intending to cheat. Mm. So that was interesting. And then from your research, like, is there any long-term effects on someone who's been cheated on? And then also maybe follow up is if you have been the cheater. I think there's long-term effects altogether. So the people who've been cheated on, you're right about the risk of like closing your heart off and being kind of bitter for a while, you know, not moving through that grief and then ending up somewhere where you can be open again. So that's the main risk. The risk for the person who is the cheater is that they're learning that they can just not face conflict and they feel like I got away with something. I can just not face conflict. But also there's guilt deep down, even if they don't feel it directly, there's guilt. They know that they've hurt someone and they have to hide from themselves. So there's some ways in which People can hide from themselves or close up after these kinds of situations. It can be really painful. And those sometimes, if they don't get help, they don't work it through themselves, it can stay for a long time in that way. I mean, this has been such an interesting conversation. I mean, there's so many takeaways. I think the first one that blew my mind is just like, in today's world, it's not the hetero man that you think about. Like, it can be anyone given the circumstance. So I don't think that means that everyone needs to be suspecting that their partner is cheating at all times, but it does open up that it's not always the people we think it's going to be. That's right. The other big takeaway I had too is just actions speak louder than words. Like we really need to see what people are doing. Like I agree, like we can't just ask someone how Mm -hmm. they handle conflict or if they're a good communicator, of course, they're going to say yes. Mm -hmm. But really being in that sense of conflict, 
concept, we've heard this from other podcasts too, of what's the indicator of a healthy relationship? Conflict. Mm -hmm. Who would have thought? That's not what you go to. Mm -hmm. But I do believe like how you do conflict is so important. And the reality is that might not be like a year, two years five years into a relationship, like mm-hmm. the real conflict. Like I think there's a distinction of different types of conflict. That being said, like even early fights or disagreements can give a window into someone how they are. That being said, you can never fully predict it because someone might do all the things quote unquote right and still might do this. But that also doesn't mean that to lose faith. And I know easier said than done, but just because this happened to you doesn't mean it's an indication of you in any way. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's room to reflect inwards on the relationship. And if there was something you could change, not to say that you're like the reason it happened, but just because the only person you can control is yourself. No, not at all. But I don't want people to walk away like scared or like feeling like they can never love again, because I don't believe that's what anyone here is saying. And I think I want to say a word about internet cheating or like email cheating or, you know, texting or whatever. Mm. That also happens. People have whole affairs that never have any touching at all. Yeah. And aren't even like sexting necessarily. They're like real romantic relationships flirting online. Yes. And those are just as dangerous and damaging insofar as they take away the attention to somewhere else. Yeah. And they're really easy to start because it's really easy to send a text to someone without your partner noticing. Yeah. And to get that little dopamine hit back of like, oh, someone thinks I'm special. It's so immediate. And I think a lot of us do that. We do it with friends. Like, oh, let me get some feedback from my friend that my partner doesn't know about. And let me kind of put down my partner a little bit. We have to keep our eye on how we do that because that's a way of throwing our partner under the bus or ignoring our partner, ignoring conflicts and putting them out to the side. And I think those can turn into affairs pretty easily. That's a really good point because I think at the foundation of cheating too, it's this feeling like someone that you thought was in it with you is now like living this double life. Like I think that's a part that's very hard to get your head around, especially if you're going to bed every night, laying down next to them and they're doing all this other stuff on the side and they're a whole different person. It almost feels like very disjointed. That makes it hard to trust. But then why are they not talking to you about what they're talking to this other person about, right? I mean, that's the main question is why are they not turning to you? Are you unavailable? Are you closed off? Are you judgmental and mean and critical? You know, is that happening? Or are they having a hard time coming forward with all of that material? Are they scared? Like, what is that? And that's the conflict that I mean. It's not just fighting about, I want to watch this show. You want to watch that show. It's I'm having right. inhibited behavior. I can't approach you and you can't receive me. So therefore, I'm going to split it off and go outside the relationship to someone who can. And I think we have to make sure, am I receiving my partner? Am I giving what I need? Am I saying what's on my mind? Or am I talking to other people about it instead? And if I am, I better watch that because that's a slippery slope, right? Yeah. You develop more intimacy if you talk to other people about what you're thinking about. You develop it with them, not with your partner. Which reminds me, I don't know if this is ever possible, if anybody's ever attempted this, but a relationship based based on radical honesty and transparency, where you give each other full access to all of your devices. You can look whenever you want and just leave it all out there. I think teenagers are doing that now. They're recommended. Yeah. Well, teenagers are doing this. They're saying like in their very first, you know, instead of it's like in my day, it used to be like, will you go with me? Will you be my girlfriend? You know, whatever. Now it's, will you give me your passwords? As an act of promise. What? Yeah, give me your passwords <gasps> because then I know you trust me. And, you know, that's kind of wild, right? Give me your locker combination and your passwords. I mean, that borders on intimate partner violence too. Like, yeah. I control you, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know about that. I don't that. like that. Yeah. I think people can have areas of privacy. Your fantasy life can be private. We are always going to have some privacy. You can't share everything with someone. But if somebody's hiding their devices, that would make me feel a little suspicious. If they slam down their computer every time you walk into the room. Mm -hmm. That's weird. You also have to ask yourself, like, is that the relationship I want to be constantly checking someone's devices? Like for me, I know that is not it at all. You know, I'm a sex therapist. All the things that I've had to search for information online, Mm. if my partner looked through my browser history, they'd be really confused (laughs) because I'm searching stuff that has to do with client material and like other kinds of things. I don't think our browser histories are who we are. 
Yeah. So I think that's important. But yeah. you're on to something. I mean, again, is someone able to share with you? I just talked with so-and-so and let me just forward this to you. Like if they're pretty transparent and talkative about what they're doing online, that's a pretty good sign. Yeah. Interesting. My major takeaway is also conflict is at the core of all of our decisions and cheating is just conflict manifested into a decision and into an action. Mm-hmm. My other big takeaway is, and I read this a while ago, is when people reach for that glass of wine when they get home from work. Before reaching for the wine, you should ask for why. What is causing you to reach for that wine? Because you are so stressed, Mm -hmm. you need to decompress. And I think it's the same thing. It's like before you give in to that temptation of cheating, the first is stepping back and asking why. What is causing me to be interested and tempted by this scenario? And we often in this culture, we reach for the pain meds, you know, we reach for the Band-Aid solutions, Mm -hmm. but we don't address what is the root of the Mm -hmm. issue. And I see that now so clearly that even in my last relationship, I guess we really weren't Mm -hmm. addressing the root of the issue. We were using therapy as a Band-Aid solution. There are probably much deeper issues that we never even scratched the surface on thinking that we were doing our thing. You know, we're in therapy. We do check-ins every week. It was Mm -hmm. enough. But for that intimacy to grow and for the deepening of the relationship to happen, (laughs) really have to have the hard conversations. Mm -hmm. And that's really tough to do, Mm -hmm. really tough to do. So I love your suggestion of seeing how someone reacts to the heart mm-hmm. of a relationship, the conflicts, the conversations, the topics that make people really uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's not to say like you shouldn't do check-ins and go to therapy, but I also feel like we have to recognize like when are these going through the motions versus actually, you know, getting there. I think sometimes it's easy to be like, oh, we're checking all the boxes instead of going deeper. Yeah. When couples come to me and there's been an infidelity, I usually tell them straight away, we can't trust either of you right now. And you should not trust each other Hmm. while we're working through this process because something happened that neither of you really understands why it happened. And we're only going to understand why it happened once we understand what your conflicts are. And so I try to help them go after the conflicts, knowing that there were lies. And Mm. what are the lies and the fantasies that made possible this infidelity? And what are the conflicts that we haven't talked about? And that usually helps people kind of roll up their sleeves and get into the mix. I think it's premature sometimes to go into, and I'm not saying that, you know, my colleagues work with you and your partner was bad, but I think an infidelity is a call to go deep and to go into the messiness rather than to paper it over with apology and promise because that feels too premature. There's something that happened and it needs to be addressed. I like that. Also, it gets the person out of victim mode. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, why the why me? Why did this happen to me? Why did you do this to me? This is more of a we problem now. Well, and sometimes they need to do individual things. Like one person needs to grieve and the other person needs to really question, like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why wasn't I brave enough to open up my relationship or drop it? You know, there's a lot of questions that they each need to engage individually and maybe not together in couples therapy. So at the end of it, is it always a we shared responsibility or are there some situations where, you know, this person is just going to do this to everyone. I don't think we could easily say that any dynamic that happens between two people isn't a we, which is not to say that you blame the other person. You know, there's Mm. perhaps more problematic things that are going on for the person who cheats than the person who is cheated on. But they co-created that scenario. They both Mm. co-created that the conflicts weren't dealt with. Maybe the person who was cheated on didn't have the information to know what the conflicts were because the other person wasn't speaking about them. So they're kind of not quite as culpable, Mm -hmm. but it's co-created for sure. Right. You know, codependency or being too nice or being too kind or being too generous, not getting angry, you know, whatever those things are that put the whole thing in place. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all of your learnings, Dr. Zapian. How can people find out more about you and the research you've done? I wrote a book called Clinical Treatment Directions for Infidelity. It's available on Amazon. They can find me on the web. Just Google Nicole Zapian. I have a clinical practice. With two L's. With two L's, yeah. Zapian, Z is in zebra. <laughs> yeah, I wrote a book about ethics. There's some stuff about me out there. Great. And we'll link it all in the bio too. And you do work with couples and individuals as well? I do. And I also do psychoanalysis. I started a podcast recently called Technology in the Mind, which is all about Mm. how we can't think clearly as we engage with technology, which has a dotted line to what we're talking about, because I think it's kind of tempting and can cause us to behave in ways that aren't super rational or kind to others. We might need you back on that topic someday. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Fantastic. Thank you again, Dr. Zapian. For all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you have your own stories to share about infidelity or not, you can always email us hello at datablepodcast.com or you can DM us at datablepodcast on Instagram. But the best way to reach us is through ratings and review. Guess what? On Apple Podcasts, just give us five stars mm-hmm. in the body of your review. You can share your experience. You can ask a question. You can tell us what you learned from this episode with Dr. Zapian. Maybe there was something very surprising that you learned and you want to share with the world. That's the best way to do it. And we'll share them on the next episode too. So also greatly appreciate it when you leave us a rating and reviews. Okay, we're going to wrap up this episode. Stay Dateable. The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Media Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Dateable Podcast and visit datablepodcast.com for access to all the episodes and our premium programs. Also, make sure to subscribe today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform so you are the first to get all the latest episodes. And most importantly, stay dateable. Stay dateable.